You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to the I Dig It Podcast. A podcast where we talk about the student perspective of navigating the world of archaeology and anthropology. I'm your host, Michaela. And I'm your host, Alyssa. Welcome back to this week's episode. Hey. Hey. How's it going? (laughs) You know. It's actually been a long time since I've talked to you. It has. kind of crazy since we usually talk every day. I know. We've just (laughs) been so busy. I've like been working every day, which is great because I like money. (laughs) (laughs) Those 12-hour work days will really fill up that wallet. Honestly, I've been reading what I've been working and like, because I'm just observing dirt move and just kind of watching around, walking around. And then some things have been happening on the site that I've been working on. So then I'm trying to like not walk around as much because it's a little dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, What books have you been reading? Well, I'm mainly reading a book called Assessing Site Significance. Assessing archaeological sites, no, something, something along those lines, and it's just kind of like <laughs> going around, like with archaeological sites and such, and figuring out their significance and what determines if the site is significant or not. There's like criterion A, B, C, D, but it's like they can all somewhat correlate to each other, and then at one point it's just like, well. We're saying it's criterion B, but if it's like this, it's the criterion A. And then and I'm just like, all right, I'm just going to keep this book on me at all times. <laughs> Is it specific to CRM work or just general archaeology? United States archaeology. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Very useful. So just working a lot. Not even, I mean, kind of living. My roommate and I like go do things, but that's about it. <laughs> Not doing a lot, which is fine. I just finished day seven out of 13 on my work week. Oh, I, I saw you've been documenting that. Yeah. Like 13 days in a row of work. <laughs> yeah. I was supposed to have Sundays off because they're not supposed to work Sundays, but they're working through this Sunday. So wow. we all showed up to work today. Seven days a week. Yeah. I can't wait Crazy. till next Sunday. <laughs> I'm just going to sleep. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe sleep I'll go on a hike. <laughs> A hike? I would uh-huh. not hike after that. <laughs> we'll see how exhausted I am. How how has your week been? How's your time been? La- this last week was particularly difficult. Um, because on it was like the first week of actual schoolwork. So the first mm-hmm. week of PhD was pretty much just like syllabus reading and everyone's like shopping for classes and that sort of stuff. The best week. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'll never get that again. (laughs) But but, so that was the first week. And then last week was the first actual week of work. And then RBG died and like Breonna Taylor's case and everything. And so there was just a whole lot going on on top of like 300 pages of reading. (laughs) And it was just like not the best week. But yeah, I still have a lot to catch up on before tomorrow morning. So yeah, it's this is my life now. We're chilling. <laughs> it's fine. I don't know. It's just it's such a weird time to be doing things because of just the the 
the thickness of the air at any given point in the day leading up to the November election. So yeah, it's weird to like be reading archaeological theory when like everything's on fire, but it's fine. <laughs> and life does go on, which exactly. is the weirdest yeah. part of it all because you it's not that you can't do anything, it's that it will still go on yeah it's just no matter how much i stress out about it it's still gonna happen so yeah gotta find a balance (laughs) yeah i feel like i found like a good balance in a way like there's some things that still like i'm like oh my god what but other things i'm just like i'm able to like process them a lot better which is beneficial and i'm able to like continue through my day and still be productive while being informed and caring Mm -hmm. and doing everything I need to do. Yeah. I've definitely cut back on like social media intake for the last few weeks. And Mm -hmm. I think that's helped a lot. And even just like last week, I wasn't on social media a whole lot, but you still hear about all the big things that happen. So it kind of like proved that you don't need to be on social media in order to be up to date with like current events because you're going to hear about it anyway. So I need to stick to that and just not open my phone. How have you been enjoying that? Maybe enjoying is not the correct word to use, but. <laughs> the social media. Yeah, the social yeah. media cut. Um, It's been good. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh-huh. I mean, so it went from like absorbing tons and tons of information about like the political climate and like all the things that are happening with BLM and like all that and just very like rapid intake of information to less, but like you still have the feeling of everything still happening around me. So I don't think the inside of me has changed much, (laughs) but I'm not constantly focused on, oh, what am I missing? What's next? Like that sort of um, mindset like scrolling through social media so that's been better but yeah I don't know I think it's it would be a different answer if it wasn't right now <laughs> if I was yeah. cutting social media like last year it'd be a much yeah. different answer I was like oh you know I just I just feel like so rejuvenated and I'm just like my own person I know I'm finding myself <laughs> namaste <laughs> I really know what I feel like now without social media and so I took this two-day cleanse from social media <laughs> okay Man. I can't do that voice anymore <laughs> <laughs> looking back like a year ago today what is it September end of September I just moved no way. I was in Sacramento. I was almost moving to Cambodia. Mm-hmm. I was going to move to Cambodia a week from today. So yeah, it's crazy. Yes. And then two years ago, we were moving to England. <laughs> we were hanging out. We were in like, England. We had just met. <laughs> it was our first week of friendship, like real life friendship. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so much has happened in two years. I know. It, really? Yeah, it's insane. I was in Scotland at this time last year, contemplating if I wanted to come back to California or not. And then I decided like a month later, I was like, I'm buying this plane ticket back home. Bye, guys. (laughs) It was the day before my birthday, too. And I was just like, happy birthday to me. I'm going to go be happy. You should have stayed. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) I mean, I 
I miss it. I really do. Yeah. But at that moment of my life, nah. Yeah. <laughs> I needed to yeah. go home. I wish I could go back. I wish I could road trip through the Highlands right now. Do <laughs> you know what? I mean, no, we can't. I was gonna say, let's do it. <laughs> we, I mean, we could road trip somewhere, not the we Highlands. We could. We could. Maybe when like mm-hmm. my work settles down and you're uh, reading, maybe if you have like a uh, weekend <laughs> <laughs> that you can take off. I mean, this term, so I'm on a quarter system. So oh, our yeah. term is only like nine weeks. Oh my God. So we're already like a third of the way through oh it. Oh my God. Which is crazy. So by November, we'll have Thanksgiving break. So I'm nice. super down to do something. I'm super down. Moving on to. <laughs> so what are we going to talk about today, Michaela? Yeah. So because of the whole, you know, pandemic, I mean, who doesn't know about that at this point? Am I right? <laughs> A lot of museums, institutions, and sites and such have created online virtual exhibits for their museums and showing off their artifacts in a digital way. And so I thought it would be appropriate to talk about VR and archaeology. Neat. Because when else is a better time to explore a place you've never explored except for a time when you literally can't go anywhere. But it's not even just for now. Your whole life is just on the computer right now anyway, so may as well log on to these. (laughs) Yeah. So we're going to talk about virtual reality and the integration into archaeology, V-archaeology, and mainly just like an impact on how we think it flows as an experience with archaeology and just kind of like general feelings about it and how what we think mainly. I also just in the last couple of years, I've learned about V-archaeology and just the name V-archaeology is so cool. How it like, flows into archaeology and then VR right? and that's, yeah, it was just meant to be always. So It was just always meant to be you know, <laughs> some way, shape or form. I mean, there is an, oh, I mean, we'll talk about it, but there's an experience called V-archaeology. It's on Steam. We'll link oh, it below. Yeah. I got some issues with it, but it's like, <laughs> you know, whatever. And yeah. We'll have another episode talking about archaeology and gaming. It's pretty cool. So I guess what we should start with is what is virtual reality? Virtual reality, VR. Same thing, because acronyms exist. Across my studies, academics and researchers have different methods of defining virtual reality and just different descriptions and what they consider to be VR and all this fun jazz. So I'm going to talk about a few people that I've come across in my research. So there's one person, Yisha Savan, described virtual reality as a high-end user computer interface that involves real-time simulation and interactions through multiple sensorial channels, which features visual, auditory, tactile, smell, and taste. In 1962, there was a VR system called the Sensorama Simulator, which was constructed by Morton Heilig, may or may not be correctly pronounced, the Sensorama Simulator. Wow. If you were to see a photo of this, like, you're just, it's like a full immersion thing. Just think of a photo booth when you just, like, ones that you, like, go in, you have, like, take silly photos with your friends. Think of that. No, actually, that's not a great one to describe, but. Would it be like the Jurassic Park games at the arcade? Yes and no. 
where you have like screens all around you and basically so it's but instead of going into this like seat that's inside with this giant screen in front of you with a little gun where you're just shooting at dinosaurs a poor dinosaurs <laughs> but i mean <laughs> jurassic park <laughs> oh jeff goldblum anyway <laughs> instead of going into one of those simulations you put your head into it and then it kind of goes around you it's like midnight gospel he sticks his head yes, in, the, yes. <laughs> in, the, in the virtual reality thing and visits other planets. Basically, this simulator was an immersive visual experience and it utilized four of the five senses. So there is visual, audio, smell, and touch, including a rotating chair attached to the system. This is 1962. It's totally like a Chuck E. Cheese machine. Right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> It's like he had it patented or something of the sort mm. in 57. And it was mainly like a video, but it had all these other senses. <laughs> I want to know how they did the smell in this thing. There's just aromas triggered through the film. He hired a cinematographer and take, to take videos of certain experiences that people go through in their everyday life. So it simulated a motorcycle ride through New York and created the experience by having the spectator, the person, the viewer, sit into a motorcycle, imaginary motorcycle, I should say, while experiencing the street through the screen. There is a fan-generated wind that would happen and then simulated noise and smell of the city. So what you would be smelling were released at certain times through the film, such as exhaust chemicals from a bus that the rider was approaching Petrol fumes, the smell of pizza, snack bars were recreated by the chemicals that were released wow. as the aromas. I guess it still exists, but you just can't use it. Or it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's so cool, though. That must have been insane. It's like the first one ever. Yeah. And I think today we would mainly see that as four dimensions, like a 4D cinema experience, like at Universal Studios with the Shrek ride. You remember that? They spray you with water. and Yeah, and like rats are all over your legs. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Yusha Savan described that to be virtual reality. Another researcher, Nick Yee, in 2014 defines virtual reality as being a specific meaning to create an immersive digital environment to take you to a different physical place. And then attributed the first virtual reality system to being developed by Ivan Sutherland in 1968 rather than in 1962 with the Sensorama. So Sutherland was the first to develop first head-mounted display, HMD, which is what we see today with the Oculus Rift, the HTC Vive, etc. And the HMD was produced before the term virtual reality was coined. And so he referred to his head-mounted display as a three-dimensional display, which was to present the user with the perspective images. That one is more of what we kind of see today. So it's definitely like bringing you to this physical place. But in a way, that's still different than what we see today because we see these created through 3D modeling, through these web applications or computer applications and software of models that people create and they're not like physical places but they are places created by artists and renders and all that stuff yeah so those are the two definitions 
When was the first time you experienced virtual reality? I'm trying to, I don't remember the name of the arcade, but I used to go to this arcade as a kid and they had two stories worth of games. And there was this one machine that had this like head mounted display up. And I think it was like a, a some first person shooter game. And so you bring this like head display down over your head and you're standing and you're holding the sides, which has like the little triggers to press the buttons and such. And then you literally like you're standing and you're turning around, moving around with this display on your head. You're moving the display. It's like it's already been kind of like tracked and it can only go certain ways. So it's already like a 3D or not 3D, 360 video game. Mm-hmm. And so you just like play it on there. But that was my first virtual reality experience. Yeah. Side note, did that arcade also have an a hot air balloon simulator thing? Yes. Sit on the chair. I think I've gone to the same one. Gameworks in Ontario. Yeah, Gameworks. Oh my God. We went to the same arcade. <laughs> I remember my first experience, or not first experience, but the first experience I remember being like, oh wow, this is going to be really big soon, was actually in college. One of my friends was in the CS department and his professor was working on the first Oculus Rift. And so he got a prototype. And the only thing you could do on it was like be in space. And it was literally just like a, like a stock photo of space. And you were just in there and you could like look around. And then there was also like a movie theater. So you were standing in a movie theater and you could look around and that was it (laughs) for the Oculus Rift. And I remember putting that on and I thought it was so crazy. And I got so like disoriented and it was literally just like standing in space when you can do so much more with VR now. But yeah, I think it was my freshman year when that happened. So that was like mm-hmm. 2013, 14. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So now virtual reality has become its def- definitely become its own entity. And usually not everybody knows what it is, but a large group being of people are well acquainted with it and have it, especially because of now it's becoming more accessible to the public with having cheaper prices. It's still expensive i think i don't know because there's different methods of having a virtual reality headset now there's cheaper ones which just allow you to watch videos and play little games on your phone and those can be anything from like five bucks for like a little google cardboard where you just have this little like little cardboard platform around your phone and you hold it up to your face to Like thousands of dollars. Yeah, thousands of dollars. So just kind of like what you want to achieve with it. If you want to play games, if you just want to experience videos and worlds and such. And generally it's for video games because that's not that it's all it's created for. But right now I feel like it's very catered towards gamers. And there is a quote um, by Schroeder in 1996. Virtual reality systems do not offer an alternative reality. They do, however, provide simulated worlds that seem realistic. And that is what I definitely think is to be the... That's definitely a way of defining virtual reality that I see it more as because it's not an alternative reality. It's just showing a simulated worlds that are made to be seen as realistic in some way, shape, or form. Because even though they might just look so fantastical when you view them or be in them, you still see them as being real. 
because they are real as you experience them, but they're not real. So just don't think too hard when you're in them. <laughs> what is real anyway? Yeah. I really want to look into like dissociation while you're in VR. Mm. That's a whole thing I try to like look really hard into, but there's not a lot of research into it. And I'm just like, interesting. That'd be interesting paired with like the sensory chambers where you or decent I don't know what they're called desensory chambers where you're like floating in water and just have no sound or light or anything around you and people experience weird things in there but that'd be cool to pair with VR mm-hmm. <laughs> where it's just like your only senses are in the game do you know what Alyssa what? We are anthropologists. I think we need to do some participant art observation. So I think we got to do both of these things and talk Let's about do it. it. I'm down to <laughs> go experience for myself. The history of the usage of archaeology within virtual reality was an early development alongside other VR experiences because researchers were discovering how to show others multisensorial involvement and inclusion of sites and objects in a 3D space. And so virtual archaeology introduced elements of virtual reconstructions and worlds for research and dissemination. So the use of the word, which I'm saying experience, does not correlate with any single definition, but it's to be considered as like a complex phenomenon calling for involvement in perception, action, motivation, and cognition. And it calls for user participation within the simulation they explore. What was the first V-archaeology experience was it more like 3d models that you could like spin around and play with or was it trying to like mimic a site to be 100 percent honest i do not remember what was technically the first i would have to say that it was just viewing 3d objects there's not a lot of public experiences where you're walking around the sites because they're just so intense because you have to create these like really intricate 3D models of like entire areas of the site. When we're in York, there was a professor. He was creating this replication of this city in England that was created with 3D models. And so students would have, ta- not tasks, but they would have like these work placements to create these 3D models and add on to the city so that they can get this sizable city created within a reasonable amount of time because making 3D models takes a minute and if they were to import that in VR and have tracks where people can walk through the actual sites or not sites but the streets and see this um, see the different buildings and walk around through the city like if you import that into an application like Unity it can kind of easily be done, especially if it's already created within 3D models. and So that's some way that they can do that. But as like a first, I believe it was just visualizing 3D models or just like an image even. So that was the integration of VR and archaeology. Within the first section, we talked about VR and archaeology and how it became integrated in some way, shape or form, or just the history of it. In a very, very, very condensed explanation. (laughs) The gist of it. (laughs) You got the gist. I'm less versed in this field, but I still think it's quite cool. Just even by the way that technology is going, it's inevitable 
that it's going to continue going in the direction that it is with VR. And so being able to utilize it in in the ways that we can, such as VR archaeology, and put having experiences in games, in museum experiences, and just modeling where you can just throw it in VR and just experience something in the three-dimensional way, like surround sound where you're just physically there, but you're not there. I mean, you're, you're virtually there. Yeah. yeah not before <laughs> long, we'll be in like Ready Player One world. Yeah. I mean, they have like virtual reality gaming i mean like stores where you just like buy an hour you're in virtual reality you have like the whole like setup there's even a thing in like an internet cafe type thing basically i haven't been to one i bought i mean not that i i mean i do want to go to one but i don't need to go to one because i have my own vr headset but i'm sure they have like a lot yeah it's probably like surround equipment a bunch of stuff I'll tell you about, it's not archaeological related, but there's an Mm -hmm. experience that you can do. There's a few locations. It's called The Void, and there's one that I went to in downtown Disney, and the first experience that they had was something Star Wars related. And I won't get into like full detail because I can just go on about Star Wars, but you basically, you go in, you put on this backpack, which has the computer in it. You're given the helmet. And you're given the the gun. You're acting as a stormtrooper, infiltrating and everything. But so what you see in your headset is that everyone, like, you go in with up to four players for other people. And when you look at them, you see them as stormtroopers. Whoa. When you look into the room that you're about to enter, that you you know you're entering a physical room, but you can't see it because you're in the headset you see the scenario that they've created in this virtual reality experience. And they call this hyper-reality because it's an actual room. You just can't see anything. It gives me like Black Mirror vibes. Mm. So when you have the headset off, it's just like a black room. There's You sit on a, like a real chair that's just maybe like a plank of wood or something. Um, there's like open walls because you walk through them, but it's very narrow. So you actually like follow a path in virtual reality or this hyper reality and you're crossing this bridge you feel this heat from like the lava and you shoot guns and then you press like actual buttons because it's a puzzle and you're trying to get out of this room and it's just physically there but you're not there because you're inside the system it was so fun let me tell you about that (laughs) i want to try that that's so cool i highly recommend it it's that's super cool i remember seeing videos coming out about it was probably the same company, but it's basically like a felt covered room with different shapes inside of the room, but everything's mm-hmm. projected into your headset. All the obstacles in the room. Yeah, that's that's so cool. It was really interesting. And one of my friends who I did my undergrad with, she was working there before she went off to get her master's in visual anthropology in Manchester. And she was just like, yeah, they've been doing this. This is kind of cool and stuff like that. And it was cool to hear like her perspective on working there. What a relevant job. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Very relevant. Yeah. And I think it would really be cool to have something like that for archaeology, being able to have like kind of this thing set up and 
maybe like 3D printed uh, like artifacts where it's like not fully detailed, but just like maybe mm-hmm. like a little vase that's from projected onto it. Yeah. So it's like you're holding this vase, but it's you, what you see is you see this like intricate, the little chess piece from 1500 years ago. So it's it something cool like that. That'd be, that'd be something cool. What are the implications of this? Like, why is this useful for archaeology? There's like virtual reality experiences that you can find on applications such as Steam. And I mean, I did my dissertation on the game. It's a social VR game. You can play it also on the desktop. It's called VR Chat. And you interact with real people in this virtual spaces and you all have these avatars or characters that you embody and you're able to experience these virtual worlds that are created by other creators, sorry, other players in the game who are the creators of the worlds. There's a few worlds that are that solely import models and experiences from websites such as Sketchfab. And Sketchfab is a website people, artists, archaeologists, even the museums input 3D models of whatever they're inputting. So if museums are putting in artifacts. Or like big temples. Yeah. Yeah. And then artists just put in their creations, like characters that they've made, worlds and such like that. So in VR chat, you're able to go into these 3D worlds, experience the heritage sites that people have imported. And it's pretty cool experience. And some are very detailed. Others or not did not size the worlds at all, and you just kind of walk on this small. You're you're giant on this small world, and you're just like I shouldn't be able to stand on top of this temple. <laughs> I don't know how I feel about this. VR archaeology gives people who are physically unable to go to these sites, um, whether it be disabilities or financial reasons or just oh, I just don't really want to go. You know, I don't want to really go. I'll only go there for this. It gives people the ability to go and experience certain things just from the comfort of their own home. I think you can also talk about the validity of it all, though, and how video games are not accurate representations of these historic sites, these archaeological sites, artifacts. And I mean, same with like the museum experiences as well. They're constructed in a way just to create this 15-minute experience that people, it's like, okay, you have to do this to get to from point A to point B to point C. Then you're done. I mean, even when you go to a museum, it's all out of context also. So, yeah, you could argue that it's the same idea. You're experiencing the idea of the thing rather than where the thing was originally yeah it's more learning than anything Mm -hmm. I know it's not archaeology but paleontology but at the Yorkshire Museum when we were there there was an experience that was narrated by David Attenborough and it was just you're going and seeing this giant dinosaur and you're feeding it this branch and you have to bring up the branch to him and everything like that. And he eats the branch and then that's it. But it's just kind of showing you the scale of it all. And it's not much showing a story, but it's just like, oh, this is just how big this dinosaur is. And you can only go to like three different spots or something. 
And before they had this Viking experience where they had like the front of the VR mask in the shape of this actual Viking mask that was found and you were able to only like have this 360 view of the site and they're just showing like, oh, this is kind of what you would see if you were there in this moment. And which is awesome. Like I, I would have to say that that's, those are like really good experiences to have and they definitely show you a lot, but there's just so much more you could do. <laughs> I'm sure we're going to see some crazy developments in archaeology soon enough. I feel like VR in general, as you said, is very gamer oriented. How do you think people should attempt to get other demographics interested in it? Not that it's difficult, but I think with the price range of it currently being so, I don't want to say outrageous because I feel like it could be more expensive than it is due to like just like the pure technology within the small piece of equipment. I think having, I mean, even having more social integrations with virtual reality other than video games. So with Facebook, I know they have like Facebook VR or something where you're able to, it's this beta right now, but you're able to create these avatars and be with your friends that are in person, or not in person, your your real Facebook friends in these virtual spheres. Wow. You're able to explore virtual worlds and discover all new things that interest and inspire you. You can play like games with each other and create worlds. And it's called Facebook Horizon. Right now it's for Oculus, but it's right yeah, it's in beta. But so Facebook is getting ways. Great, Facebook. <laughs> but will that only be accessible in like a VR headset, or is that something that's like desktop accessible too? VR headset, it looks like. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's a way to get other people interested in this platform as what we were saying and I think the social aspect of it Mm -hmm. would be a good integration because we're as humans we're social creatures and we're always looking for ways to talk with each other as we have created a handheld phone that we can connect with anybody in the world and created FaceTime where we can just see each other while we talk to each other and technology is so vast I think the, yeah, I definitely think the best way to do so is by integrating it into things that people are already used to. Because I feel like even with that Facebook thing, if you can only do it with a headset, like people aren't going to just go buy a headset to do that. But if it was like accessible on the desktop, even without like a headset, I could see people wanting to go buy the headset to make it better but like they still have access to it anyway like vr chat like you can just play on the desktop too without a headset yeah i think if they did that then it would like be a ramp into like go yeah. buying the vr experience because that wouldn't be necessarily seen as gaming it's just like mm-hmm. oh it's my facebook it's like stuff. a chat room yeah it's a chat room and i know with like with VR chat, people went out and bought virtual reality headsets because 
of playing VR chat and they just want to be able to be immersed as their friends that they've been making are with like even like full body haptics and everything where they're just like moving their arms and their legs and you're just like how are you doing this they're like oh I have a tracker and it's like ah makes sense so I think in that aspect especially if it is accessible on desktop they'll bring more people to buying these virtual reality headsets not that everyone needs to have a virtual reality headset but it's one way to have that integrated and Make experiences such as archaeology more present because everyone likes to watch documentaries and stuff going all around the world, like Aerial America and let's go to Antarctica today, guys. I'm sure, yeah, like when you're watching a documentary, it'd be cool to be able to put on your 3D glasses or whatever and actually be in the documentary. I'm sure that'll be a thing soon. They are doing that already because you're able to watch videos and some movies within virtual reality. Like you can be watching this like big screen and you have to like turn your head. And that's mainly a 360 video, which I made a film using a 360 camera and it was about Polynesian dance. And you're able to like turn all around and see all these dancers around you and seeing how they move and how they dance and cool thing to do. And it's a cool experience, but for like, it sometimes gets really tiring watching a video and eye straining. But when you are actively doing stuff like in moving around in this virtual experience, like, like a 3d world, it kind of takes your mind away from just focus, hyper-focusing onto a singular event. Whereas there's like depth and perspective, which is wild. Like you know when something is far away, you can hear things that are far away with like the binaural audio. It's super cool. I definitely think that this era of COVID and everything is like a huge catalyst for the possibilities with VR too. Just because it's proven that people can do what they need to do from home for the most part. Like everyone in a tech job, everyone in like you can do school online, albeit it's not like the best, but I think that's like motivation to figure out ways to make it a lot more interactive instead of just like Zoom face-to-face and like incorporate that sort of stuff too. I feel like a lot of stuff we're going to see come out with like classroom and office integration and that sort of thing with VR. I think it'll be cool to see. What would have been cool for like the graduation ceremonies? Because did you ever see the ones that we made a Minecraft graduation ceremony? How like the actual having that in VR. So they're actually able to do it, but without being there. And Mm -hmm. you still feel, I mean, you still feel immersed, but you might, and you'll still know that you're not physically there, but being around the people in VR can be, like I was saying, there's like a dissociation yeah. of it all. It's mentally and, a lot yeah. nicer. <laughs> yeah. And then just like being on a screen on Minecraft, and you're just like, hi, nice. Yeah. There's a lot to say about VR archaeology, especially in gaming. And I definitely think we should have another episode about archaeology and gaming and go into it a little bit deeper this is just this is just skimming the surface (laughs) yeah this is the intro (laughs) episode and we'll be back after this little break in this last section we're going to be talking about the impact and how we think it flows as an experience with archaeology i got feelings about it 
What are your feelings about it, though, Alyssa? My feelings. My feelings. I think as a non-gamer, I would I would call myself a non-gamer. So like, I play some games, but I don't seek out gaming. Um, I would say that I'm not particularly drawn to a virtual archaeology experience. Um, but if I was like in the field or at a museum and they had it, I wouldn't shy away from it. But I don't think I would be inclined to like look up different experiences to experience for archaeology. Like it doesn't interest me from what I've seen so far. And like you don't see a lot of VR just being advertised anywhere. So I think like if it was in my face, like, hey, look at this cool thing we have. And there were like ads everywhere and whatever. I might be interested in like checking it out. But I feel like I'm not super aware of anything that's happening because I'm not studying that field, even as an archaeologist. Like I'm not aware of a whole lot of the VR stuff going on. So right now in this moment, I wouldn't feel the need to go seek out VR. Yeah, I think that's what we need to work on Mm -hmm. is like getting the attention of people and like making them want to go experience it. During my research for the archaeology, I didn't come across that many. I thought I was going to come across a lot more and some of which I couldn't even play because I didn't have an I didn't have an HTC Vive. The department did, so I was able to do it, but it was like I wasn't readily accessible to do it even with my headset. And even the V archaeology game that there is, there's a lot of glitches in it and it was just a prologue. So it was just this very little experience that was there and that was created several years ago. And so it was just like, ah, is there going to be more to this? Because that would be cool. I would want to play more of this because it was cool to like dig, I'm using quote, AR quotes, dig in VR. There are some things to be said about the experiences that are there. And I'll I'll link some in the description because it's hard to explain, not hard to explain them, but you definitely need to view them and see how you feel it. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone has different opinions about them as well. Being like, you know, I'm just not a fan of the format and this and that. But one thing that I have to say, even as a digital archaeologist is like, I'm not a fan of them taking over everything. Mm -hmm. And especially in, in the sites and I'm not just, Virtual reality, I should say, just in general, like having these digital methods take over everything. When you're like visiting museums, you're just looking at your screen rather than looking at the actual object. And so, I don't know what I'm trying to say. So having having virtual reality is a good accessibility point for people to be able to experience the sites, the archaeological sites, heritage sites, experiences within the museums from your home. But I don't think we're there yet, though, where it's like worth worth going out buying a virtual reality headset. But I do think we will get there. (laughs) Yeah. I think we'll be getting Not there too soon. long from now. Yeah. No. <laughs> Seeing a lot of museums going virtual and having these virtual exhibits 
they just need that extra little push because it's like I know there's a lot of museums that have virtual or sorry that have 3D models and they put them out on Sketchfab or on their websites you're able to access view and move things around but if they were to put them into an experience where you can access them on desktop or even in VR where you can actually move things around you can enlarge it you can hold it within your virtual hand and being able to determine the the sheer size of it i think archaeology in vr is going to be really valuable when we get the 4d component to vr like where you actually feel what you're holding like pressure on your hand and like people are already yeah people are already working on that where you can like feel rain or feel a spider like on your hand and stuff like that so I think once we get to that point being accessible, that's when archaeology will be really cool in VR because a lot of archaeology is touch and like feeling the weight of things and being able to like feel the grooves of a piece of pottery or that sort of stuff. So I think once we hit that, that's when I think our field is going to take off in the VR world. Yeah. I would even have to say that – one of the site that I was in in Bulgaria took like did photogrammetric models on every single layer of the trenches that were being excavated. So you're able to digitally restore each layer of the trench that could even go into a, like a training lab or something. So you don't actually have to go out into a site to experience and like yeah. destroy and keep digging when you don't need to dig or spend thousands of dollars on a field school Or you can, when you're in classes or going through a certain course or whatever, you go through this experience and you start digging and having some sort of practice. That would be really cool. And not to take place of field schools, of course, but... Have a total like Star Trek hologram thing in the middle of class and take apart all the layers of a site. Yeah. That'd be cool. Every student in like VR trying to do this thing. You see each other across the site and you wave at each other in virtual reality. (laughs) And then you go back to digging with your little virtual trowel. And then you come up with the actual object that was discovered at the site because it's been documented. And then the actual object was documented as well in photogrammetry. So you're able to hold it as it was found. Yeah. Maybe I should make that. <laughs> make that a thing because that sounds super cool. Yeah, so that's that's that I mean because I did that right before I went into England too, and or not before, but before I applied to go to York, and I was just like, this would be such a great experience. Like this could happen, this should happen, and it's a great training. It's great for people who are interested in archaeology and they want to learn more because people do like this like little little quote unquote digs and little fun things just in sand or something or they're at the museum and they have like this little excavation air quotes and people enjoy it it's like it puts them into another method like another career without actually going into the career (laughs) (laughs) but imagine what it would be like to be an archaeologist and people love that especially with indiana jones and they're just like oh my gosh archaeology and then we get romanticized mm-hmm. and all that stuff, which is, dinosaur you know. Bones and- <laughs> oh, my God. I love dinosaurs. <laughs> it's stuff like that which brings me excitement. And I'm liking what I have been seeing over the last few years. But 
there's just so much more we can do. And I know I'm not like the most digitally artistically talented person and but I just have so many ideas and I'm just like You just gotta find a, a techie person to help Yeah. You out. Yeah. But so it can be done. But I think with the impact of it all, there's there's a lot that can be said about that. It should never take away from the actual site. And of course, what we are portraying within these virtual worlds has been, it could be changed within the next day because that's it's been recorded in a specific moment of history in the present time. Like as soon as you take a photograph, that moment's gone, you know? It's like that, it's one second, you'll never get that second back. How you see it in virtual reality, it does not mean that's how it exists to the present day. So it's like it needs to be consistently updated maybe or being able to put like, hey, this was the day that it was recorded and make sure you have the authenticity of it all. There's just so much to say and it's hard to condense it all. So that's great that this is part one of the series <laughs> of the archaeology. Part one of we'll 20,000. <laughs> just kidding. In conclusion. Yes. VR has lots of Potential. Potential. But we're not there yet. Not there yet. But we're getting there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're getting there. I hope this was a nice little prologue to the concept of VR and archaeology. Because there's there's a lot to be said and we barely scratched the surface. And I hope this is somewhat informational at all. <laughs> So until next time, see ya when we see ya. Yeah. Bye. Bye. This show is produced by the Archaeology Podcast Network, Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle in Reno, Nevada at the Reno Collective. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.